This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated late in 2020, sponsored by ACT-IAC. My guests for the panel were from the General Services Administration. They included Laura Stanton, the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Information Technology category in the Federal Acquisition Service, Keith Nakasoni, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for IT Acquisition within the Office of Information Technology category at FAS, Alan Hill, the Acting Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Category Management in FAS, and Vera Ashworth, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner in the Office of Information Technology category, also in FAS. First, we hear from Laura Stanton, then from Keith Nakasoni. In FY20, IT, the IT category facilitated more than $30 billion in annual government spend. We're still wrapping up the year-end numbers, but I just wanted to share that because that really represents the trust that the federal agencies have put in us, the customer service, the support in reducing the, acquisition, the procurement action lead time, innovation, data transparency, all of the things that the federal agencies have put their trust into ITC in order to make that happen. So out of that, we also provided more than $2 billion in savings and cost avoidance to the customers out of ITC alone. And those are getting into some pretty big numbers. Also, we're seeing these numbers increasing on the business volume, just to give you an idea of the scope, at the same time that we also saw increases on our score on the customer loyalty survey and then the supplier relationship management survey. So I'm incredibly proud of the year and the work and the work that the ITC workforce has done in making this happen because those represent moving towards the IT category management that you'll hear more about from Vera. It represents work that we have done across the board in areas of supporting the agency in their COVID responses, moving forward on cybersecurity. Jason gave a preview on supply chain risk management, Section 889. We'll get a little bit deeper into those. It also represents cloud migration. We relaunched the Cloud Information Center to help agencies with that federal cloud migration and have more data and be able to support them with acquisitions as well. Other FY20 accomplishments include work on the emerging technologies and such as AI, uh, robotic process automation, and 5G, where we began moving forward in supporting agencies and beginning to implement some of these tech, looking at how do we implement some of these internally as well. We also launched the IT Acquisition University, which you'll have a chance to hear Keith talk more about in the digitization of the workforce and how that's beginning to change how we're and how we get out new, new information on how to buy and about technologies. And then finally, we awarded and launched the Commercial Platforms Program. So that was just FY20. Going forward into the FY21 initiatives, we're, we're really looking at FY21 of being the year where we see some big awards. We're looking at the STARS-3 GWAC Award. Also, um, I, I had DEOS and TUJIT, though DEOS has already been awarded, and you'll get a bit more detail from that from Alan Hill, and the upcoming TUJIT uh, contract. And so we can cross one of, our, one of those off the list already for FY21 with DEOS. You heard about the GWACs with the Alliant 2, STARS 2, and BETS 2 are all continuing throughout in the FY21. 
And we're continuing to mature our risk management capabilities as we go forward into the upcoming fiscal year. We also have launched the commercial platforms program, and we're going to continue to be building that out as we go forward. And then finally, we are continuing our shared services with the support through the U.S. Access Program, the PIV credentialing that we've been that we've been providing to agencies for for some time. So with that, I'm sure I went over my three to five my five minute limit. So let me let me pause there and uh, pass it back to you, Jason. All right, very good. Now there's so many things to follow up on, but every time I wanted to follow up with you, you said so and so will take care of that, and so and so will take care of that one. So let me try to pick one that you won't maybe be able to pass it off to one of your colleagues. The savings number, uh, and I really do appreciate the fact that you said savings and cost avoidance, because I think that's key, because so many times we, we talk we talk about them one and the same. Walk me through how maybe you calculate that, calculate that a little bit and how you come to you know the savings number and the cost avoidance number, because I, I think it's, it's interesting that you all are, are tracking that as a metric, and then at the same time, I think we have a lot of vendors on the, on the, webinar, I think they're, they'd be interested to see how you guys look at that data as well. So at a high level, we look at it program by program. So different programs have different approaches to cost avoidance, cost savings. And so we are looking at it really not using the same approach across the board, but really looking at what's appropriate for the program, what's the methodology that we use, how do, how do we look at that. And we do it because we also know that Work coming to GSA, your leverage, I mean, the category management principles, you're leveraging the buying power of the government and being able to look at the power that that brings is an important aspect of understanding sort of the contribution that we're making to the American public, the contribution we're making to the agencies, helps us understand where we're doing well and where we potentially we have a chance to improve. So it is it is a program by program number that we that we look at depending what's appropriate based on is it a commodity or a service and and how do we calculate it? All right. So as I said, there's plenty more to to, to talk to you about, but let's move on to. I think we're going to Keith Nakasoni. One of the things that for FY21 that we're going to be looking at is, of course, is the cybersecurity maturity model certification program. And we talked about it. We've already injected some of the language in STARS 3, and we're going to also include it in Polaris. And the, the big question that keeps coming is, why is GSA embedding CMMC requirements in, the, in our government-wide acquisition contracts? One of the main focuses, we know that cybersecurity is well on the forefront of, of everybody's mind, as well as supply chain risk. We cannot avoid that at all because of the, the risks to our IT infrastructure. So we have to start looking at things of um, taking things from self-attestation to, to more of Let's look at parts, components, products, solutions, et cetera. So as we build out the framework and as we work with Department of Defense, we will unveil some of the things that are coming forward, such as how can we collaborate in a way as well as leverage tools that the DOD may be using as well as that that could be applied within the civilian side. So again, that's a journey. It's a process we have to assess, evaluate, and and look at uh, the art of the possible moving forward with that. The other thing that we're looking at is as we look at supply chain risk management and we look at our acquisition workforce, we do realize that we have to change up how we're also training the workforce. So GSA is taking that 
proactive approach in uh, looking at our training programs, looking at how we can uh, raise that awareness through through the education process, as well as more of that assessing the skill gaps within our portfolio and moving forward. And one of the things that I want to say is that from an acquisition workforce perspective, we have a framework on how to train our acquisition professionals. But we can also extend that process by injecting the digital transformation uh, of training. Um, and I'll, I'll go back to use cases. One of the things that we're learning with artificial intelligence and machine learning is that the technology is a little different in in how we put our contracts together or how we set up our contracts that we have to start now start looking at the capabilities of the technology and then moving forward and how do we develop strategies in delivering that capability in a production and scale environment. So the good thing about what we're doing at GSA is we have the community of practice that has that active engagement with the different agencies. Then we also have the center of excellence, which is taking more of that, looking at the technology and looking at how we can move it into production and scale. And then within the IT category, we can build those large acquisition vehicles to meet, to actually help with the demand, but also adopt some best practices that are going on, even with the industry, with um, industry input as well, going through this process. So the whole ecosystem of training and and leveraging emerging technologies which which you will you will definitely see in polaris as well so artificial intelligence machine learning as far as robotic process automation all of those technologies that we use we want to experience that within the acquisition process as well so we're using use cases to learn from it we are actually doing some proof of concepts some pilots through the process within acquisitions to learn from our own experience. For example, we did a challenge with the Enterprise User Licensing Agreement, which is an, uh, reviewing EULAs through our the review process that we do within GSA. And so by building those use cases and using our staff to actually learn and experience that process, we're also training them at the same time. So this is a good thing that we're learning from the digital transformation initiatives that we have within the IT category, as well as execution of acquisition solutions. Because as we know, as time moves forward with our acquisition vehicles, we also know that there's uh, the IT capabilities are also transforming and converging into more IT solution sets. So as we move that portfolio forward, we're training the workforce so they can understand how to write the contracts better, how to and how to execute and also manage those contracts better moving forward. So it's no longer just um, you, know, you know putting contracts together, but it's also evolving that contracts over time, allowing that flexibility, agility to incorporate changes as they come forward, such as 5G. We know that 5G is, is uh, right at the heels of what we're doing within our portfolio, but we, we have it staged ready under like our mobility special item number under the multiple award schedule that's ready to go, um, also under EIS. So we're taking these forward-leaning approaches so that we can adopt technology as well as provide what we know today but we can inject that uh, future technology moving forward. And Alan will go into more of that technology spin more on the category side, but I just wanted to give you that flavor of what we're doing from an organization perspective, how we're transforming that workforce, and how we're going to be transforming our government-wide acquisition contracts moving forward. 
Keith, before you go, I gotta I gotta ask the follow up on CMMC. I think there's a lot of concern in the community about what does it really mean. So maybe if you could go into a little more detail, I know decisions are made. You're still working on Polaris. Eight A stars three. I think it's through the draft phase. You correct me if I'm wrong. You're still working through that. So I know that there's still a lot to be decided. But I think the concern here that I've heard from industry is, wait a minute, I have to be certified before I can get on the contract? How am I going to get certified when DOD is not even certifying people yet? And the, the, the minds start running ahead of themselves to help them understand what they really should keep in mind as you guys roll these things out. So CMMC, what we're doing is we're embedding the language in the master government-wide acquisition contract. But the level of certification will come in at the order level, meaning that they don't have to be certified at the at the master contract or the government-wide acquisition contract level. But it's going to be based on the orders that come through the GWAC. And the reason why I say that is because even when we look at the CMMC framework, there's different levels that that need to be achieved based on the requirements of each order or uh, based on the mission requirements of the uh, agency that may be ordering uh, or leveraging our vehicle. So what we did was we included the CMMC language at the master level, so it's within scope. But at the order level, they can actually add additional requirements for the levels one through five, depending on their mission requirements. So again, we want to leave that flexibility within the program, but also be able to execute over time and learn as we go through that process alongside with the Department of Defense that we can inject as need on an as-needed basis, and we can also have that flexibility because it's already within scope of the government-wide acquisition contract. I think that's really helpful because I think there's a, maybe a concern that I've heard in the community that, oh, I have to be certified before I can even bid, and that is not the case. It's at the task order level, so DOD may put a task order against it that won't require CMMC at all because, as they said, they're rolling it out over a five-year period too. So people Correct. should calm down a little bit, right, and not get so worked up over you as you all talk about the need for CMMC it's not going to be a front end. It's actually going to be a, a down-the-road thing. It's a phased approach. Absolutely right. We have to take a break. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated late in 2020 featuring GSA executives and sponsored by ACT-IAC. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated in late 2020 sponsored by ACT-IAC. My guests on the panel were all from the General Services Administration's Federal Acquisition Service. They included Laura Stanton, the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Information Technology category, Keith Nakasoni, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for IT Acquisition within the Office of Information Technology category, Alan Hill, the Acting Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Category Management, and Vera Ashworth, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner in the Office of Information Technology category. To kick off this segment, we hear from Alan Hill and then from Vera Ashworth. I'd like to talk about a couple of things that we've done in FY20 and doing in FY21. Uh, one of the things that, uh, as you heard, the Defense Office Enterprise Solution, DOS, Blanket Purchase Agreement, was awarded. People are probably very interested in understanding why the estimated value was at $4.4 billion over the next 10 years. In short, we worked with the DOD to provide landscape changes and refiner requirements through the process of modification since the initial award. That allowed the vendors to sharpen their pencils, which resulted in a reduction in the overall cost award value. 
We're now working with the DOD to process several task orders uh, through DOS so the DOD can leverage the significant Microsoft subscription savings the BPA provides. Uh, DOD will be able to leverage the BPA's enterprise-based set of capabilities that include productivity tools such as office automation tools, email, collaboration tools, uh, file sharing, storage, uh, DIOS replaces their legacy DOD IT office automation applications to standard cloud-based solutions that all the services will be able to leverage. That's one of the highlights, and I'm sure you're very interested in that and why the award was changed uh, in value. Uh, in addition, talk about a little bit about Polaris. Um, Keith briefly talked about it, and I'm the geek on the panel, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the technology offers and, and, and plan for Polaris. One thing that we did do as we looked at the GWACs and how they're providing uh, services and how uh, they complement each other. Uh, all the GWACs have been very successful. We did not want to rest on our laurels. First, we wanted to bring synergy between each of the GWACs so there's a natural progression for small businesses. Important for us. Keep talking about uh, Polaris, but one thing we're doing is in addition to the small business, we're adding women-owned small business and hub zone into the Polaris uh, portfolio. Uh, so we have vets and 8A stars to address our 8A and, and the service disabled, but we're also going to address the women owned and hub zone area. We're keeping technology offerings that work currently on GWACs, but we're making some tweaks to emphasize the emerging technologies, artificial intelligence, uh, edge computing, and the big thing that you've heard me talk about is anything as a service. Uh, so customer agencies can tap into the small companies that provide these kind of expertise in these areas to drive further IT modernization and improve service delivery. Uh, one of our favorite topics that we talk about also is uh, EIS, the IT modernization. Switching gears to that, EIS is approximately now $14 billion in awards on it. We have some staggering number of cost savings slash avoidance that far exceed our initial estimate. Example, last reported from DOD, its average cost avoidance savings is around in the 45 percentile. That's a lot. In addition, you've heard HHS uh, estimates that they're going to save about $700 million over the life of the task order. EIS is doing exactly what it was intended to do. Saving U.S. taxpayer dollars and facilitate modernization across the federal government. Continuing on the IT modernization theme, I want to talk about TIC 3.0. And as you know, GSA has been working closely with DHS CISA with the development of the Trusted Internet Connection 3.0 policy guidance and various use cases. EIS is the contract vehicle that's going to be used to facilitate the adoption of TIC 3.0 compliance solutions. For TIC 3.0, we're taking the same approach we did with S uh, Software Defined Wide Area Networking by incorporating that into the master contract. TIC 3.0 is going to be incorporated. This allows agencies to, to, uh, to acquire solutions that are more conducive to how federal agencies work today as the dispersed workforce. As you know, at the start of the pandemic, agencies were in a scramble mode trying to address their infrastructure needs, scaling their IT infrastructure. They bought, for example, VPN licenses, expanded their bandwidth. Not a very good way for us to be able to scale uh, to things uh, that's needed. Uh, so with TIC 3.0 guidance, 
and use an EIS, agency will be able to adopt a more scalable, elastic uh, type tick trail comp compliance solutions. I do want to set some kind of realistic expectations though. Getting the task orders water is just, just the start. Uh, it's going to take some time for agencies to build out their uh, modern infrastructure, especially large agencies. Moving away from the legacy security infrastructure that is in place today is going to take some time. CIS has done a tremendous job in creating relevant use cases that agencies could adopt sooner than later, though. Uh, for example, branch office use case uh, and remote access use case. In addition, uh, we're continuing to develop uh, future type use cases, for example, zero trust. The surge in government telework is dictating a fresh look at how network security is architect. For vendors, they can help agency understand their specific capabilities and compliance by creating overlays for each of the use cases and how their solutions meet those TIC 3.0 guidelines. Also, in closing, I want to talk briefly about the final notes on uh, EIS as the new measure in the Federal Information Technology Acquisition Reform Act, PATARA scorecard. Uh, agencies' transition is now even more on the spotlight, uh, so agencies must prioritize their transition off of the legacy contracts in a timely manner to meet transition timelines. We have a four-phase approach to close out the legacy contracts. We're currently in the process of executing that second phase. In addition, we're making a concerted effort to promote as-a-service offerings so agencies can adopt a more cloud-like elastic approach for solutions that can expand and contract based on their business needs. And also finally related to EIS, and Vera's gonna to touch a little bit more about organizational change, but specific to the Office of Telecommunication Services, which uh, EIS is in, uh, its name has now changed to the Office of Enterprise Technology Solutions. This aligns ourselves to the customer needs, better ways to acquire better uh, modern technologies and to support the continuous modernization. And I'm going to go back to the beginning because I think the, the DOS contract, I'm glad you started there because I think there was a lot of questions about it. Did the scope of the contract change and based on the bid protests or based on other reasons? And that's why they had to went back and refined and, and sharpen their pencils? Or did something else happen? Because it's a pretty big change from, I think, something that some, some estimated to be $12 billion of, of a scope of a contract to $7.5 billion to go down to $4.4 billion. So give me a little more about what exactly changed with DOS. No, it wasn't what you call a scope change. It was more refinement of exactly how things would be executed and what exactly was needed in, in that execution. And uh, in addition, the vendors came back and really sharpened their pencils uh, on that. And, and, and that's extremely important because... Obviously, we'll want to, to be able to implement those office automations with the capabilities that are needed specifically uh, for the DOD. And I got to ask, do we have a protest again? We're past the protest period. So, and, uh, you haven't, and you haven't heard from your friends at GAO or the Court of Federal Claims, I, I imagine, right? No, 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 no word. All right. Well, I guess that's good news for you all. I mean, that means DOD and, 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 and can get started on this. All right. There's plenty more coming your way, Alan. So take a breath, take a drink, water, or something else, coffee maybe. And uh, we will uh, come back to you. Uh, Vera, jump in here and, and, and round us up. 
as you can hear from my colleagues, um, I'm the newest one on the block, and uh, I uh, joined ITC and GSA in a new role, Chief Operating Officer for ITC, and really just focused on taking this strong performing organization and you know really uh, getting us positioned for the future. So uh, you know, being able to respond to the changing needs of acquisition, technology, and the market landscape. So, uh, you know, as Laura talked about a little bit, we really are focused on driving and, and delivering results to our customers. And as, you know, Keith and Alan talked about and in growing our offerings to our customers. Uh, so my goal is really to make us be efficient and nimble so that we can react to the challenges that, that we are anticipating coming and those that uh, surprise us like the pandemic. And I should point out that I started this job and and have been totally engaged 100% teleworking during the pandemic. The other thing I wanted to share is that if you didn't know, um, I also was, because one hat isn't enough, um, I was named the government-wide IT category manager. And so uh, we're still awaiting some final numbers but uh, and working on the plans for the coming year. But I just wanted to highlight a couple of key accomplishments in 20 uh, that the category had. One was the uh, professional services code refresh for, for IT codes, which were actually put in place in 1978. So you can imagine technology has changed a lot. There had been a couple of updates along the way, but uh, it really needed that, that kind of refresh. Um, and we went from 71 codes down to 40. The other thing uh, for the best in class vehicles, we're really focusing as we're maturing on uh, really getting that customer results through through those contracts. And then I think the other big thing that other uh, folks may have heard about is on October 1st, we launched the IT Vendor Management Office and uh, really you know worked on in 20, putting all the pieces in place to do that um, October 1st launch. It's really to support the frictionless acquisition as part of the cap goal. And it's a, it's a collaborative effort between OMB, uh, GSA, NASA, NIH, and DOD. And um, really, this further institutionalizes category management and how we buy goods and services. We are in the process of still, you know, uh, in the early stages of setup, but uh, some of the services that the organization will provide will be data analytics, sub subject matter expertise, uh, vendor relationship management, and uh, big solution support, and then as you know, Keith was talking about security, uh, security and scrim support. So again, our, our focus there is really to provide agencies with meaningful acquisition intelligence and support faster, smarter IT buying. So there's a, a couple of new things that, that folks may or may not have heard. Vera, I got one quick follow-up for you, and then we're gonna get to everyone's questions. We got a couple in though. So I think the, the IT Vendor Management Office is an is a incredible concept for, for several reasons. But I think one thing that kind of stands out to me is this has been tried before in different, if you will, flavors. I think the Acquisition Gateway, not to pick on Laura, has been an attempt in, in the same realm, bring together information, make it easy for people to find and, and then use it. And there was not a lot of maybe maybe it's just my perception, but maybe there's not a lot of use of the Acquisition Gateway like initially planned. How do you ensure getting that people know that ITVMO exists? Obviously, talking about it today is helpful, but um, how, how do you get people to use it? How do you get people to take advantage of it? And how do you ensure that it just doesn't become yet another 
good good thought but that just it's harder to implement for for the cultural reasons we love to talk about we are focused on uh, multiple organizations supporting the ITVMO. We have an executive steering committee, which we kicked off and had our initial meeting. Um, and so as I mentioned, you know, we're closely aligned with OMB, who's you know, a sponsor and supporter, and uh, with uh, NASA, NIH, and, and DOD. And really, we are focused on, um, and again, we're, we're in the process, we have a long list of things we want to do, but limited resources, so we're in the process of prioritizing. But first, we're going to survey the community agencies, you know, the CIOs and CIOs, to make sure that what we put above the line of what we, what we tackle this first year is really beneficial to agencies and really focusing on, you know, where the problems and the challenges are and, and how, we can, how we can help. So we've got a, um, max, a, a page on Max. Um, we're going to have a, more of a rollout, especially once we get our plan publicized and you'll be, you'll be hearing more. We have to take a break. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated late in 2020 featuring GSA executives and sponsored by ACT-IAC. I'm Jason Miller and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated in late 2020 sponsored by ACT-IAC. My guests on the panel were off from the General Services Administration's Federal Acquisition Service. They included Laura Stanton, the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Information Technology category, Keith Nakasoni, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for IT Acquisition within the Office of Information Technology category, Alan Hill, the Acting Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Category Management, and Vera Ashworth, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner in the Office of Information Technology category. In this last segment, the panelists continue to take questions from the audience. Alan, I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and throw it out there. I have three separate questions from three separate people, uh, Mitzi, Chris, and uh, forgive me, Shafe. I'll ask the same question, basically, which is, is there a plan for a civilian version of DEOS? So a couple of years ago, I think GSA had talked about potentially using DEOS as a model for a CEOS. So what, where are we at with that idea? The one thing that... Uh... DIOS has provided us is, is a better understanding on the technology side. Um, I, me as a technical person, CIOS is going to be something different than what DIOS is merely because of how the DOD is structured and how the services work. Federal agencies, we got a lot more federal agencies and requires a, a lot more future planning and how that will be done. So it's, it's not, a, it is not going to be the same in terms of how DOS is. So just kind of set expectations. Uh, and, and it's going to require certain landing pads and things like that for, for how things would go in the future. I'm going to let Laura talk a little bit more for the strategic as, aspect and, and, and on that. Just to build on what Alan's saying is um, GSA has been is in the market research phase and really working through sort of, Alan talked about the different challenges compared to DOD to the civilian agencies and working through understanding those as to what the path forward might look like. All right, Laura, let me get ahead of the next question that I know it's going to come is, do you have a timing? Do you have a, are any RFIs planned? Any draft RFPs planned? Is there anything you can give a sense around that kind of timing? No, I'm afraid, afraid not at this, not at this time, Jason. All right. I'm just trying to, you know, because that's the next question that you know will come from the audience. So uh, appreciate that. Uh, another question actually uh, comes for Keith, and this is from Kimberly. She writes, ISO 27001 full controls and audit currently aligns to what duty is determined to be CMM level 
three, CMMC level three, and what will be required there. Will the government consider making this requirement for companies to have 27,001? So I think, Keith, what she's asking, if I can kind of interpret this a little bit, is this idea of reciprocity, which I know is something that Katie Arrington at DOD has talked a lot about. Have you guys started to have that conversation or consideration around 27,001? From a security requirements perspective, again, GSA, you know, we build our government-wide acquisition contracts to be flexible and agile to meet the needs of all, uh, or as to the maximum extent practical, all agencies. So as we look at things from a government-wide perspective, we want to build that flexibility in so the order level is more of that mission area for each of the different respective agencies. So as we build and look at this from a model perspective, we are in discussion. In fact, I'm, uh, I'm going to be meeting with um, Katie Arrington, and this is we've been having ongoing discussions within uh, in regards to CMMC. So we'll further continue that dialogue as far as the reciprocity issues and, and things that we can look at and assess and evaluate. So as we move forward, um, again, we're in the beginning stages of this effort, and we're going to continue to, to work um, with the other partners out there as well because we have all the civilian agencies as well as DOD. So we're considering all of that information on how to construct the acquisition vehicles moving forward. We got a, another question that came in from James. This is, uh, he wants some just numbers. Do we have some numbers? Uh, what is the total IT category business volume for 2019? And what was the percent of growth from 2019 to 20? Is that something, so, is that numbers anyone has? Since we're still getting final numbers in, um, what I can give is sort of where we are is FY19 was 26 and a half billion. So we did see, since we're just a little bit over 30 right now, uh, we'll be able to pull percentages and things once we once we wrap up the with the final numbers. Um, but it does give you a good sense of, of the growth that we experienced over the over the past, throughout FY20. And again, this may be early, Laura, but do you guys sense that growth came from the extra money agencies got from COVID and COVID response? Or again, because you're looking at your customer surveys, you're looking at your, your supplier surveys, there's just a move toward the, I'll use quotes here, shared services type of contracting, meaning I'm not going to do my own, I'll use GSAs or somebody else's? I think some of that, because the numbers are still rolling in, what I'll say is, is that some of it, I think, is is likely from COVID. Some of it's from, it's from a variety of all of the sources. It's from a use of best in class, the spend under management, seeing people discover the value of the GWACs and the schedules program and what that brings. It also has to do with um, that we did, we did see uh, agencies coming to us for support with their COVID needs, uh, especially sort of in the early part of that. And we have, we've talked about some of these examples where we supported HHS as they were rolling out an MTIP solution. We supported um, EPA in the, develop, in the purchasing of laptops. So we were, we were very active with the agencies working through their requirements and supporting them throughout, throughout the, especially the initial response to COVID. Alan, uh, I'm going to bring you back into the conversation for a second around FATARA scorecard and EIS. When Congress and, and the House Oversight and Reform Committee decide to add that and GAO add it to the scorecard, what does that mean for you all? Is it just you, you now have to give them the information per se, or, or what does it change your process? Uh, it does not change our process. They're actually uh, right now looking at the same data that we look at in terms of disconnects from the legacy contracts. And so that's how they're measuring it. 
We have to take a break. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated late in 2020 featuring GSA executives and sponsored by ACT-IAC. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today, I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated in late 2020, sponsored by ACT-IAC. My guests on the panel were often the General Services Administration's Federal Acquisition Service. They included Laura Stanton, the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Information Technology category, Keith Nakasoni, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for IT Acquisition within the Office of Information Technology category, Alan Hill, the Acting Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Category Management, and Vera Ashworth, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner in the Office of Information Technology category. In this segment, the panelists take questions from the audience. Keith, you talked about AI and ML and, and, and the technology coming into contracts. Walk me through maybe a little bit more about how that's going to fit into Polaris and what, you know, what are you thinking uh, in terms of you're not just going to ask, hey, give us your best AI or give us your best ML, but are you trying to really focus it in a specific area or what? What we're doing is we're learning a lot from the community of practice and from the transformation that, are, that is happening with the private industry in, the lever- in leveraging AI ML. So what we're trying to do is use, use the, uh, and leverage use cases and past experience that has already been built by private ind- industry and how it can be leveraged within government. So the good collaboration that we have going on between the community of practice and, and with the Center of Excellence within GSA is, is allowing us to build that capability and incorporate the different IT solutions with the models that have, uh, that have great adaptability for the government processes that, and initiatives that they're doing. So, for example, you know, there's a medical community, there's a, you know, the IT community and security communities. As we look at all the different communities and look at the use cases that are leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning, we're able to learn from that. But we also are looking at how do we adopt more of that accelerated with velocity in moving that forward. So use cases is building some really great foundation for us to execute in in leveraging emerging technologies moving forward. And even for us, when we look at the acquisition process, if we can look at robotic process automation as well as artificial intelligence, what is already built, what is already being used by industry, and how can we leverage it to move forward within our portfolio? So those are some of the the things that we're doing to accelerate the process and inject the um, technology within the business lines that are already executed in the private industry. Let me expand this to everyone on on the panel. Go ahead. Someone wanted to jump in, Laura, maybe? Yeah, I did want to jump in because I wanted to to expand sort of the use case concept, which is and talk about that what Keith's talking about with identifying those use cases and making sure that the what we're, the solutions we're putting together can meet the agency's use cases we're doing that in other areas as well we're looking at EIS what are the what are the use cases that we're that we're seeing on tick 30 what are the use cases that we're seeing in other areas of technology the work that Allen's led on then putting in making sure that the that EIS can meet those use cases then simplifies life for industry, it simplifies, and it simplifies how the agencies are acquiring those technologies. So this is what he, what, what Keith specifically is talking about around AI is something that we're looking at how do we use that more broadly across the entire portfolio to understand agencies' technology needs and make sure that we're meeting them. Uh, we have another question from Kim. She writes, 
In several recent sessions with vendors, DHS mentioned they were limited in what contracts at GSA they were willing to use, specifically the hacks SIN. DHS stated they had no confidence in the selection of process, even though vendors had to go through orals. I think what she's asking here is, do you have any guidance on how we can counter this new culture that's happening? So concerns that maybe agencies are not have the confidence in, in certain GSA contracts, even though they probably should, and you all have reached out many times to them and, and continue to work that angle. I don't know if that's a large question or Vera, you're shaking your head at that. As a former vendor, maybe you experienced it. So uh, I'll, I'll touch that really quick. We're, we're gonna, our, our security IT portfolio collaborates with DHS. This is the first I've heard of, uh, of what the question was about and stuff because they're joint in that process for that approval process and that interview process. So uh, we'll follow up with DHS if there's any uh, specific uh, concerns and stuff, but uh, we've, had, we've had a great relationship and developing the hack zones and how it works. And um, we've never heard of any concerns like this. In the very early stages, you know, we, we did have some things that we needed to work through with the hacks in, but since then, we've actually made some advances with the highly adapted cybersecurity cyber SIN. What we did was we made some of those changes and we consolidated actually all of that effort into uh, one, which made it a lot easier to understand because it was confusing when it was first launched. But now that we have a cohesive look at it and um, Larry Hill leads that portfolio portfolio for us and he's and he he is very outstanding subject matter expert in this area we've been able to adjust the acquisition solutions moving forward so with the with the products and services now that are available i think um we'll, we'll definitely see some changes in, in that respect and it's getting the word out and and marketing it in a in a way that people understand how to use it that's all the time we have for this show today i played excerpts of a panel i moderated in late 2020 featuring GSA executives and sponsored by ACT-IAC. My guests on the panel from the Federal Acquisition Service were Laura Stanton, the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Information Technology category, Keith Nakasoni, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for IT Acquisition within the Office of Information Technology category, Alan Hill, the Acting Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Category Management, and Vera Ashworth, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner in the Office of Information Technology category. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.